It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. A big thanks to The Hartford for supporting this special episode. This is the second episode of our Build the Life You Want series. Hi, everybody. We're back. Okay. For the art and science of getting happier, build the life you want, Arthur C. Brooks is here. And so is Oprah Winfrey. And so is Oprah Winfrey. I've joined forces with best-selling author, Harvard professor, and Atlantic columnist, Arthur C. Brooks, to co-write our book, Build the Life You Want, The Art and Science of Getting Happier. We're so glad to know the book resonated with readers, with a debut at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Now Arthur and I are together again for this three-part podcast series. We're diving deeper into the insights in all eight chapters of Build the Life You Want. We'll also answer questions from readers like you. I want to give one of our readers, Suzanne. Suzanne, hey, a chance to ask your question. Hi, I'm Suzanne, and I love the distinction made between hope and optimism. And I was wondering if there is a simple kind of quick way to incorporate this into my morning routine so that I have a little bit more hope for that day, especially as I am launching a new business in a new city. Great. What's the difference? Yeah, the difference is that, and, and by the way, good luck, Suzanne. I love entrepreneurs. I love to see the spirit. You can tell yeah. that she's so enthusiastic yeah. about getting this thing going that and asking believes. the right question. She believes. She believes. A lot of people think that hope and optimism is the same thing, but they're not. Optimism is a prediction. Everything's going to be great. That's what optimism is. Mm. And that's not necessarily true. If you're an entrepreneur, it's not necessarily and the case. And it's also more general, right? It, it could be even specific. Like you can be very optimistic about the future of your business. You can be very optimistic about okay. what's going to happen this day, but that's predicting everything's going to be all right. Yeah. Hope isn't a prediction. Hope is a declaration of action. Hope says something can be done and I can do it. You can be a pessimistic, hopeful person. I mean, a very hopeful pessimist by saying, you know I'm not so sure things are going to turn out okay, but there's stuff I can do to make this situation That's better. Right. And hope is, I mean, hope is empowering. Hope is incredible. So, you know, to, you, you'll, if you're an entrepreneur and you're just optimistic about it, okay, but, you mm. know, look, Oprah, you've had businesses yes. and there's ups and there's downs and just thinking everything's going to be okay all the time is not necessarily the best tactic. Or even saying, you know, I believe it's going to be okay. Um, I feel that it's going to turn out okay. Yeah. You've got to have hope that includes some action yeah. to make it turn out okay. Yeah, so the way to do that is not to wake up in the morning and say, today is gonna be a great day, <laughs> right? Only good things, no bad things. No, 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 no. There's gonna be good and there's gonna be bad. Bring it on. Why can I say bring it on? Because there's a bunch of things that I can do. Yes, and also because as one of the main tenets of the book is to be able to accept your unhappiness. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this before and you know, we have a declaration of independence that says that happiness is our birthright. And so everybody is trying, striving, pursuing, pursuing mm. happiness when in fact we should be taught exactly what we're trying to say in this yeah. book or actually saying in this book is that you need the combination of both. Yeah. I think so when unhappiness shows up, people are like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. 
unhappiness, it, it, is, it is about the balance in yeah, your life. Absolutely. You know, some days you wake up and you're like, yes. You know, I don't know, man. I don't know. But then you make a list of the things that you can do this day. Make a list of the things that you can do that will make things tangibly better in your business or your life or your relationships or mm -hmm. the lives of other people. And that's, a, that's an expression of hope and empowerment and that will make things a lot better. We Time meets Me Time, where magic meets the sea on a Disney cruise. Adults can relax and enjoy dedicated spaces designed just for them. Indulge in a massage at Census Spa or take a dip in Quiet Cove, an adult exclusive pool. Don't worry, the kids are having some me time of their own at incredible kids clubs. And there's amazing we time, like entertainment, imaginative dining, character encounters, and more around every corner. A magical vacation at sea awaits on Disney Cruise Line. Don't go anywhere. More to come after this short break. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, in creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. So, chapter four is titled, Focus Less on Yourself, and you introduce us uh, to something called the Moral Deed Study. What is that? This is a study, it's a really interesting study, so much um, of you know, the work on, on how we can get happier uses human experiments at universities. So mm -hmm. the way that you do this is you take a bunch of students, usually undergraduate students, because they'll do anything for 20 bucks, and you, you set them up into different groups and give them different instructions and see how they differ with the results. So this is one that asks, if you do something, if you treat yourself, or if you think nice things about another person, or if you go out and do a nice thing for another person, which one of those three actions will give you the most happiness? Now, left in the wild, most people will be like, I'll treat myself. You know, I'll go to a spa, I'll eat the candy yeah. bar, I'll yeah. you know, go out to dinner, I'll go have a good time, right? But they'll, they, they randomize the, the students into the three groups. One group, go do something nice for yourself. The other is think beautiful thoughts about others. And the third is go do something nice, just a, a random act of kindness for another person. And then they saw how happy they were in the, in the wake of that and also how happy they were later on. And in unambiguously, the happiest group were the kind acts, the random acts of kindness people. That was it. That wasn't the natural thing to do. The natural mm -hmm. thing to do is to serve yourself. But if you basically you don't stop with thinking nice things about other people, think of something nice that you can do. You know, we were talking about this the other day. Yeah, yeah. Remember when we were talking, um, uh, I was giving this example and we were discussing this about when you feel a little bit helpless at work. Yes. You're feeling a little bit unhappy at work. 
the way that you can turn around a job that you don't like very much, that you're, you find boring or something, is to start doing random acts of kindness for the people in your office. Yeah. It turns out that you can use this experiment. All these experiments are so incredibly useful. Mm -hmm. Look at the person in the next cubicle and go to the break room and bring her back a fresh cup of hot coffee, even though she didn't ask for it. Make sure she likes coffee, right? Yeah. And bring it back to her and say, you know what? You look like you could use a fresh cup of coffee. And pretty soon you're the person who does that. Okay. So is the reason you feel better when you do something for somebody else because of the other person's reaction? Or is it because it does something inside you? Well, this is an interesting thing about acts of love. You know, one of the things that we find is when people are really lonely, they want love. Mm -hmm. The best way to give it is to give love. To get love, give love. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you feel it or not, go mm -hmm. do something. What that does is it really starts the process of reframing things in your own brain. Mm -hmm. Life your load is lightened when you're helping another person. You take the emphasis off yourself. You're, you're, not, you're not looking in the mirror anymore. When, you know, woe is me, it's in, incredibly self-focused. And I get it because mm -hmm. when you're feeling rotten, you're thinking about your own feelings. You get relief when you actually do that. Plus you magnetize yourself with those feelings from another person. You're gonna, you're gonna draw love to yourself when you actually give it. That's, mm -hmm. that's a, and, and again, just a little cup of coffee or a little compliment. You know what I used to do, and I love this, is, is that if I was at the grocery store, and I used to love to like, after I paid for my groceries, you know, tell the, per, tell the uh, cashier that pay for the next person in line. Yeah. And I never knew who that person was or what, but I just know that I always felt that when the person puts their groceries up and they say, oh, their groceries already been paid for, that for the rest of the day, that person feels good that that thing happened to That's them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And they're still telling the story that it was Oprah Winfrey and paid for the pork chops. <laughs> no, but it is, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, and the truth is that that is, it, it's a, it, who knows? Is, is it the hand of God? It's hard to say. I've done tons of research on this. It's a funny thing that I found early on in my career yeah. as a social scientist. I found that, for example, that, that it looked in my data, this weird thing, this mystery, that when people gave money to charity, the next year they made more money. It's a weird thing. It's like, it doesn't make sense. And I think something's wrong with my data. So it's the tithing principle. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, but, but it was like, they, they made more money the year after they gave money away. And it was like, it looked causal in my uh -huh, opinion, it uh -huh. sense. So I go to this friend of mine who teaches at the university with me, he's a psychologist. I was, as an economist, I was working in a slightly different field. I said, I got this data problem. I keep finding that when you give money away, you get richer. He's like, oh, we've known that for 30 years. I said, well, tell me more. He said- really? Because, but it's trivial, he said, when people give more money away, they get happier and they're more effective in their jobs, they're more empowered. That makes sense. And they get rewarded is that the whole sense. point. The, yeah. and, and so the connection is not that, that you know, the wheels of the universe turn and they, you know, money comes out of a helicopter. The, what happens is that you get happier and you work with more joy and you make more money is the bottom line. Give more, get happier, give your time. There's actually a study, I love this, that shows that when people give more, they get more attractive physically to other people. Really? Yeah, yeah. There's a study that says this, you know, these guys, they're asked to come into the lab with their wives or girlfriends. And, um, and they say that the researchers say, I'm gonna give you a pocket full of coins and you just have to walk down to the other building down there. And my colleague is down there waiting and he's gonna ask you a couple of questions and you go home, you get to keep the money. I'm like, that's it? Okay. So they walk out of the building and halfway through, there's an alleyway between the buildings and a homeless guy comes wandering out. It turns out he's involved in the experiment, yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. He panhandles the guy. Got any change? He does. They put the coins in his pocket, right? And he has to make a decision in front of his partner. What is he going to do? Okay. He makes the decision. They keep walking. The guy in the next building asks 
firsthand. Did you give money to the homeless man? And then to his partner, how attractive do you find him right now? It turns out the more you gave the guy, the sexier she finds you. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Because yeah. yeah. I, I would feel that way too. Yeah, for sure. Let's hear from Brian, a teacher from New Jersey, has a question about the ways in which others judge us. Brian, mm. let's hear it. Hi, my name is Brian. After reading the section, Stop Caring What They Think, I thought, yeah, but sometimes I do have to care about what other people think and how they see me, mm -hmm. especially in regards to stereotypes that can affect everything from work to personal safety. My question is, how do I square that circle? How do I care less about what other people think while living in a society that judges people based on how they look and can be discriminatory? Hmm. I thought that's really spot on. Very yeah. deep question. Yeah. It is true that, that it, it matters, you know, what people think about you, but don't go looking for yeah. information about how people think about you. Yeah. The big problem is it's a comparison machine that, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, the US president one time said that comparison is the, is the thief of joy. You know, it was a profound insight. And so the whole idea that you're comparing yourself with other people, what does that person think of me? What does that person think of me? Sometimes it's necessary. You know, if that person is looking at me in a mean way, that might be a threat. I have yeah, to, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I should care what my boss thinks of me and my, and my style of work. Yeah. Those, those things are necessary and they make sense. And that's, we're evolved to care about those things. But stop looking for the social comparisons that are totally gratuitous. Mm -hmm. How many likes did I get on that social media post? What, what are people saying about the outfit that I'm wearing? Stop asking people their opinion of you. That's a really important thing to do because these are just looking in mirrors all yeah. day long. It'll make and, you nuts. And, and I think work towards affirming for yourself what looks good for you. Yeah. And when you know that yourself, it's just like I used to say this all the time, and I still feel this way that if you go shopping and you're not quite sure about a pair of shoes or a dress or whatever, you can ask everybody, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? But when you're sure, you don't ask anybody. Yeah. When yeah. you're sure, you don't ask anybody. Yeah, yeah. And the happier you are, the fewer opinions you're soliciting. Yes. You find that, you know, when you're really feeling kind of... Yeah, yeah you have to ask everybody everything. You got everybody all the time. So, what, you know, what do you think? Did, did I do a good job? I do a good job. You know, I find myself doing this all the time. And, and when you're more secure in a relationship, you're doing that less and less and less. Yes. It's really important. I mean, I tell you, the, the most important thing for me is I want my wife to be proud of me. Mm -hmm. I really do. It's really, it's an audience. I want. She's watching. And... <laughs> oh. And she's proud. Look hope, at you, you I just hope, blushed. But, yeah. but when, I know because I'm in love, but, um, but you know, when I'm most secure, I'm not asking. I'm not asking, I'm not seeking, I'm not yeah. grasping all the time. This is the key thing. When people feel like their, their worth has been somehow diminished. You're in love and how long you've been married? 32 years. Pretty damn good, I must say. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, beats working for a living. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go anywhere. More to come after this short break. Ladies, you're working hard, and there's no better reward than booking a cruise vacation with Carnival Cruise Line. Summer is right around the corner. Picture this. You're paddleboarding in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Next up, excursions. Explore ancient Mayan ruins. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship from a ride on Bolt, the world's first roller coaster at sea, to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick among restaurants, 
from surf and turf to family-style Italian. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags, but be sure to leave room for unforgettable memories. Because no one does fun like Carnival. Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, The Bahamas and Panama. Join Macy's and Girls, Inc. to empower a new generation of leaders now during Women's History Month. Throughout March, you can help fund STEM and college and career readiness programming for girls when you donate to Girls, Inc. or round up your purchase. Plus, shop women-owned and founded brands like Kaylee Cosmetics, New Face, and Better Not Younger. Learn more and celebrate the creative power of women now and all year round at Macy's.com slash purpose. Yolanda is a married mother of six from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Well done, Yolanda. About envy. Hi, Oprah. Hi, Arthur. Thank you so much for bridging the gap between uh, scholarly articles and the mass media on happiness. I struggle with envy and the part that you wrote was so refreshing on page 89 and how not to water the weed of envy. But I do have to declare that I still struggle with it because I don't struggle because of what people have or their successes. Well, I guess a little bit of their success, but because of their ability to handle stress and their ability to lead teams. Do you have any recommendations for me? Mm. Mm. Well, before you recommend anything, yeah. Yolanda, I want to say give yourself a high five and a hug because if you're raising six children, yeah. I I don't know how you compare anything no, no. that anybody else is doing to that. Yeah, I know. Because they're not in your household. They're not dealing with what that means. Yeah. I mean, that alone deserves a round of yeah, applause. Yeah, totally. I mean, yes. and it, yeah, you're a good manager. Yes, right, that's you a already company. are. You're running a company. You, <laughs> you're a CEO. You are. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's phenomenal. No, it's really great. Plus, you know, she's got the self-awareness to, to see this is a source of discomfort. Most people are miserable from envy and they don't even know why they're miserable. They think they actually need to get more status. They need to get more money. They mm -hmm. need to get ahead or they, or even worse, they need to tear somebody down and yes. then they'll feel better. Well, yeah. That's when the envy weed has really taken over a big part of their life. Envy is a naturally evolved phenomenon. Envy is a way that we, we can compare ourselves to others to understand our own place in the hierarchy. And we wanna be able to have a sense of ambition about doing better. And the way that we do that is by you know, comparing ourselves. You say, well, that person's got you know, this attribute, that got th this quality, these possessions, whatever it happens to be. I want those things, I would really like those things. And that envy, it spurs us to actually be better. And that's the reason that it's selected. Isn't envy, you shouldn't have it, I should. Well, that's the malignant kind of envy and that's what it can turn into. Yeah, because so there's the, a difference between jealous and envy, right? Well, there's a difference between benign envy and malignant envy mm. or malicious envy. Benign envy is like, I, oh, I look, I've always admired you, but I didn't think you didn't deserve it. Yeah. The problem with malignant envy or malicious envy is Which is what we have a lot of oh today. And, and so much social media is about this. Well, that's the reason that people enjoy it so much when the mighty fall. That's right. It's because that's kind of schadenfreude yes. they get. And that's a really bad thing, not just for our society, it's horrible for the person who experiences envy. So that the medieval philosophers talked about envy as one of the deadly sins. Mm. I can see why it would be. And by the way, there's two commandments about it, not just one. It's like, don't do that. Don't covet. Yeah, right? that's, yeah. that's envy. Thy neighbor's but there's ox, a, there's his a, ass, or his <laughs> wife, or anything. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's, it's like, and, and so, like, don't covet your neighbor's social media following. I mean, it's getting, you know, for yeah. the current moment, it's absurd, but, you know, it's all the same principle. 
there's a heavenly virtue that the ancient philosophers talked about that combats the deadly sin. And that is? Admiration. Admiration. Yeah. And giving admiration is a gift. It's so beautiful. When you I don't know how you switch envy to admiration though. Well, here's the thing. It's based on admiration typically. It's either based on, it's either based on jealousy or admiration. When there's the benign envy that, put, but, but it might, it, it cut at you. It can, it can make you feel less. Okay. Oh, I get it. The, bot, the baseline is admiration. Right. But because you don't think you can measure up to whatever that is. You feel bad about you. You, you then turn yeah. that. But the thing that you would have normally admired if you were a full whole person. Yeah becomes jealousy and envy. So instead of focusing on I'm less, yes. admire the fact that the, the other person is doing something well, and then it becomes a gift. You can actually turn that impulse into the gift of admiration. Now, the, the, you can't do that when you don't know the person. It's a celebrity on social media. Yeah, Stop right. following celebrities on social media because all they'll do is make you feel less. It's this global comparison. It's absurd. Yeah. But you also have a lot of envy maybe for the next door neighbor and the fact that her kids are, you know, so impeccably dressed or, or, or the fact that your buddy down the street, he just got a big promotion at work. Mm -hmm. Express that as admiration and to say, look, that is unbelievable. I admire that so much. I would love that. I, wish, I just want you to know that but, I would uh, but, love but, that. But let's speak specifically to y Yolanda's question right. because Yolanda is envying people who, their ability to manage things right. or to handle stress when... You're already doing it. I know, I know, of course. I mean, that's, this is the doing key thing. You're always- Doing it with six kids. And the people that she's- They admiring. don't have six kids. Yeah. <laughs> and even if they do, she doesn't see them at that's home. Right. You're not in their house. Yeah, that's right. And you know, they're, they're weeping bitter tears thinking if only I had everything Yolanda has. I mean, this is the funny thing that everybody yeah. admires or, or envies everybody else for what they have. But if there's something that's really genuine about that, maybe there is somebody that she sees that has these incredible management capacities, the ability to keep chaos or uh, uh, calm in the face of chaos, go to that person and say, I love that about you. I admire that. What's your secret? And once you do that, you've given that person, you'll just like, the, yes, oh, it's this transformation. Yes, validated. Right? They're not going to be like, oh man, another person who admires me. No, yeah, no, no, no. We validated, all want yeah. that. Is, and, and if you can turn that into a, the gift of admiration, it's just, it's soul changing. Well, yes, the same thing, because one of the things she was saying was she envied their ability to ha uh, handle stress. Yeah. Do you have advice for that? Yeah, I mean, the, the truth is that those are the people that you actually want their advice. Because, you know, and the admiration opens the door. And then, and you, then say, you know what? Yeah, the person would say, you know what? I envy that you're yeah, managing that's six right. kids. Yeah, you'll learn, you'll learn a lot. you're still showing up at work. Yeah, totally. And, and the fact that she's got the, she's got the you know, the, the good sense. To, to recognize that somebody else is handling stress well. I mean, she's got everything going on. I mean, Yolanda's got it going on for sure. And she still wants to make progress good for her. Mm. You know, I used to be one of those people who, I used to call it the disease to please. Mm. Um, I said yes all the time because I really didn't actually know how to say no. Yeah. And explain why. And what, what I realized is, is that after a while, I, I would have said yes to something and I'd be in an event and I'd be like, so resentful. Yeah. Like, what am I doing here? And, mm. and why did I say yes to this? And yeah. blah, blah, blah. Explain why people pleasing in any form is the opposite of service yeah. and it doesn't work. So there's two kinds of ways to say yes to people. There's a yes that you say because you want to be loved. And there's mm -hmm. a yes that you say because you love. Okay. Always say yes because you love a person, not because you're seeking their approval, not because you're seeking their love. 
to be a pleaser is to say, please love me. Yes. Please love me. Will yes. you love me now if I do yes. this thing for you? The yes. answer is no, by the way. Yeah. The answer is no. That they don't you, love you anymore. No. If you're going to show up to their event, they'll appreciate it, but they're not going to love you more. And and this is this happens to a lot of people. And where, they'll appreciate it and then they'll ask you again because you said it the first time. And they're That's looking, true. you know, we all want approbation and we all want praise and we all want the approval of other people. We want that. And and one of the ways that we get that, we solicit it, we try to trade for it. Yeah. And that's not the right way to do it. You know, these when you're when you're doing something out of the goodness of your heart, make sure that it's an it's an act of love, whether you get something back or not. Mm. One of the things that you say is that family is the first of the pillars. We were talking yeah. about this in the last episode. Uh, followed by friendship, followed right. by work, followed by faith. Uh, Brendan is going to kick off this chapter with a question. He's a doctoral student at Harvard. Hi, I'm Brendan, and I love the content across the book that talks about the four pillars. And I've been thinking a lot about page 105 when you talk about relationships with our family and unmet expectations. And I think my question for you is, what is your advice for people that have opportunities to work on all of these pillars, but are really scared about the family pillar in particular? Do you think that they should start with the family pillar in order to be happier? Or should they try to make progress, so to speak, on other pillars first to then get more comfortable with some of these techniques and advice that you offer in the book? Mm. Good mm. question. Good question. Yeah, a lot of people struggle with their family relationships. I mean, a lot of people were watching us, are, you know, like, yeah, I, I know, I know, it would be great if I had one of those, you know, families that looked like it stepped off the pages of a, you know, commercial. Yes. Everybody's loving each other and going sailing or whatever people do and with yeah. their families. And it sounds like a complete nightmare in their own family because they'd be, you know, uh, uh, killing each other. I get it. And a lot of people have a lot of schism and a lot of removal from their family. It's been a long time since they've had a healthy relationship. I, I get that too. And also trouble being accepted for who you are. Completely. Completely. Yes. Yeah, for Instead sure. Instead of for who sure. they wanted you to be right. or expected you to be. Yeah. Working on the pillar of family doesn't mean immediate, complete, 100% success. This is the thing. You know, there's lots of things that we, we, we should do. Mm -hmm. You know, we should eat right. We should get some exercise. Mm -hmm. We should, you know, we should do these things. That doesn't mean that you have to immediately be able to run a marathon. It doesn't mean that you immediately should- And that healing is gonna happen just because you reached out. You just need to start. Yeah. And you mean to and start in an undramatic way. You know, people ask me, you know, what's the first step in a fitness journey? And the answer is get up off the couch and walk around. Yeah. That's all it is. You know, go walk around for half an hour. That's that's the beginning of the fitness journey. So the the the, the, the version of that for a, a relationship with your family that's freighted and dramatic and troubled is to take down the drama by, you know, 15 ticks and basically just make it easy. Just make it easy. Mm -hmm. Don't don't have any expectations about it at all. Just Ooh, be that's open. Good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cuz the key thing is it's like the you're you're not you don't have to rely on the fact that everything's going to be perfect by tomorrow. I think I think I think that's key. I think I think Brendan, I think that's key is uh, when you start to rebuild relationships or build relationships wherever you are it's to have no expectation for it totally. so that whatever shows up, you're willing to accept that, move to the next level or not. Yeah, I mean, people That's right. think, they think, you know, if, if my mother isn't the perfect mother, then I have no relationship and we have to go to zero. That's wrong. Yeah. You know, if you had a lot of trouble for a long time, call up mom and say, how you doing? Just like any other person that you would that you haven't talked to in a, in a little while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just don't be, don't make it into a big deal is the whole, do it but don't make it into a big So you're deal. saying start small and work start your way small. up. Start small and lower your expectations. Lower your expectations. That's right. 
and just let every gesture be a gesture coming from a space of love yeah. and not judgment yourself. Yeah, you're just gonna, you're gonna give this, you're gonna give this thing. You're gonna give this thing. You're gonna get something back, maybe not. And the whole point is, is a lot better than not having had the interaction in the first place, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And you are gonna feel better because you made the effort. Oh yeah, okay. totally. Yeah, absolutely you are. I mean, I know you're gonna remember a bad time when you were a kid and this thing and you did that thing to me, but just let it go for a minute. Let it go for a minute. Holding on to the bad times when you were a kid, when you're now Oof. no longer a kid, that is just crazy. Well, you just wrote crazy. a book on this with Bruce Perry. Yes. I mean, it's a, in a really important book that yeah. talks about, you know, all the... Things sort of, that happened to you, what happened to you, yeah. Yeah, and that's, uh, everybody should read that book. You're, I mean, you're carrying like these heavy suitcases around with you on, and you actually have permission to put them down, right? You don't have to carry all that stuff all right, the time. Right, right, right. But people don't quite realize that. And it's also the anger and resentment and bitterness. A lot of the time that the family relationship is so bad because of all those things they did to you, and, and really what's going on is you're refusing to let go. And just let go. Let it go. For a minute. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to the Hartford for supporting this special bonus episode of Super Soul. Today's bonus episode is presented to you by the Hartford. The Hartford is a leader in property and casualty insurance and employee benefits. For more than 200 years, they have provided people and businesses with the support and protection they need to pursue their unique ambitions, seize opportunity, and prevail through unexpected challenges. In an industry that sees customers as risks and data points, the Hartford stands apart committing to people beyond the policy by using their knowledge, data, and resources to make positive contributions to society. It's why they are committed to making adaptive sports more accessible to youth and adults with disabilities, help employers create stigma-free workplaces with mental health resources, support small businesses with opportunities to showcase their products and services to revitalize main streets, provide fire safety and prevention education in cities most at risk for home fires, so whether it's a bridge to span the Golden Gate, a storefront with the family name on the door, or a home in which to make memories, trust the Hartford to help protect what matters to you. Brought to you by the Hartford. Learn more at thehartford.com achievement. So we have another reader question about family from Emily from Idaho. Emily? Hi, my name is Emily. I have a question about family conflict. In chapter five, you said that a good way to resolve family conflict could be a family meeting where you talk about your differences. As someone who's one of the younger members of my family and isn't quite as strong um, personality-wise and just in the presence of the family, I was wondering if there's any other things I can do to encourage us all to understand each other and be happier as a family unit. Mm -hmm. It's good, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, often younger members of the family, they have this problem being drowned out, right? Because, right. you know, bigger people, older people, you know, yeah. stronger personalities, pecking order, yada, yada, yada. My little girl, my youngest daughter is, is, is relatively taciturn personality. She's an introvert, right? In a whole family of ultra extroverted people. I mean, you've met my, I mean, they're just mm -hmm. like, ah! mm -hmm. um, and, and it bothered her at first, but she became unbelievably effective. At, at, at being glue, connective tissue in our family. And the way that she did it was a classic technique in Congress 
So what you find is that there's the Congress, members of Congress that are the loudmouths, always giving the speeches, blah, blah, blah. They're always yeah. like, a, yeah, it yeah, turns yeah. out they're giving a speech to an empty chamber, usually on C-SPAN or something <laughs> they can send it out to. Yeah. But they're always the ones who do all the talking. Then yeah. they're the ones who are the more introverted, more the quieter personalities. Those are the ones that are actually getting a lot done. And the way that they do it is one-on-one. -on -one. They do it with relationships one-on-one. -on -one. They're not trying to fight through in a oh. big debate. Good advice, Emily. This so Emily good. can do this. Emily can be that effective member of Congress by actually resolving conflict, addressing issues by going one to one to one to one. And it can turn out that by the time they get to the family meeting, Emily solved the problem beforehand. Mm. That's what I recommend. That's what my daughter does. Emily's what, influence. Yep, exactly yes. right. That's her sphere of influence for somebody who speaks very, very softly is to do it on, in a one-to-one -one relationship, which by the way, creates a whole lot of happiness. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when you're working things out, as opposed to just having a big, you know, family brawl, it's better. Here's another question from one of our readers, Kathleen. Kathleen. This is Kathleen. You know, I was really fascinated between, you know, the discussion on empathy and compassion. You talk about how we need to evolve and move towards compassion. So could you break that down for us, uh, the differences between empathy and compassion? and how we should pursue more compassionate uh, relationships in our lives and com how compassion is so critical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, empathy and compassion. You and I have talked about this and we write about this in the book. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to be empathetic. Everybody thinks empathy is the ultimate virtue. That's not right. Empathy, according to many social scientists, is an overrated virtue. Mm. It doesn't mean you shouldn't feel other people's pain. But the problem is that we're paralyzed by other people's pain and they need us to do something, even something they don't like. Usually the worst parents of teenagers are super empathetic, right? It's like, oh, I feel your pain. Like, you're not their friend. You're the parent. The pa a good parent is highly compassionate, meaning that you got to do hard things in the interest of the other person in a spirit of love, even though they don't like it. So compassion has an element of empathy in it, feeling pain. But then it goes on to understanding the problem, um, to, to tolerating the pain that it causes, and mm -hmm. acting acting is really what compassion is about. And this is the thing, you know, when you're, when you have teenage kids, a lot of the times you say, I got to do something that he's not going to like. I got to do something he's not going to like. But if I don't do it, I'm not showing him proper love. I'm mm -hmm. not being a good father. Mm -hmm. We have a way of do, doing that so we can go from empathy to compassion in my house. My wife came up with this one. Why? Right, because, you know, I, had, I, I suffered through a lot of teenagers, right? And it would be, in the last episode, we talked about my son, Carlos. And my wife would say in her prayers, she would say, Lord, you have a problem with Carlos. How can I help? <laughs> and what she was asking was for God to put compassion on her heart as opposed to simply feeling the empathy that was coming from the, from the conflict and the situation. It was incredibly mm -hmm. effective as it turns out. Empathy, empathy is feeling, compassion is action. Well, I know a lot of readers connected with a phrase that uh, was written in the book, Emotional ATM, explain mm. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I work a lot, you know, my students are typically in their mid-20s. My MBA students at the business school are, are in their mid-20s. And a lot of them still have a kind of a version of a relationship with their parents that, that, that stems from a one-dimensional or one-directional kind of giving from when they were little kids. When your kids are little, you give them everything, right? They're not giving you emotional support when they're three. Mm -hmm. They're not making dinner when, you're th when they're three. And the result is that there's always a kind of a one-way valve where the parents give and the kids take. 
Now that evolves. It's not like they have to cook your dinner when you're 28 years old, but there's kind of this feeling that it's kind of transactional in a lot of ways. The mm -hmm. best way when people have a rotten relationship or kind of a, an incomplete relationship with their aging parents is asking themselves, am I treating my parents like an ATM machine, like an emotional ATM machine? Am I always asking them for stuff? When I call up, is it, uh, is it an interview? So did you, did you get to school on time today? How are you feeling today? You know, you got your winter sweaters out. Um, do you think you're getting enough protein? I mean, and the reason for that is it's always one way, one way, one way. And breaking that down so that you're thinking, not what, what am I asking them for, emotional support or material support, but what can I do for them? You know, how can I take interest in, in, in my parents in a new way? You'll freak them out, by the way. You'll freak out your parents if you start taking interest in their hobbies because they'll be yes. like, "What do you? What, what's going on? What here? do you want? What do you want? You know, what do you want? Right?" Yeah. But that turns out to 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 shut down the ATM relationship, and it can get you into a real emotional equilibrium with another adult. One of the hardest family challenges I know is forgiveness. Almost yeah. all unresolved conflict, you say, comes down to unresolved resentment. Yeah, for so sure. So, practice of forgiving each other explicitly and implicitly yeah. is extremely important. Walk us through the four forgiveness strategies, if you will. Yeah, it, you know, forgiveness is not straightforward. Um, and it's, by the way, it's hard. The, main, the, the, the person who benefits the most from forgiveness is the forgiver. There's a ton of research on this, right? I mean, the Buddha said that, yeah. that, that hatred is like picking up a hot coal to throw at somebody. The person who's burned the worst is the person who has the coal in his hand. And, and ah. refusing to forgive is just like not letting go of the coal. It's just going to burn you more and more and more and more. I mean, well, you need relief. Good, that's good. I mean, let it go. Good, Buddha. Let it go. Even if the person doesn't deserve it, let it go, right? Get rid of that hot because coal in your hurt, hand. It's hurting you. It's hurting you. Yeah. But then you have to kind of have a repertoire of forgiveness techniques, depending on the gravity of the offense and your own personality and a whole bunch of things. So, you know, we go through this, all these different kinds of uh, forgiveness. And, and, you know, forgiveness can be as simple as discussion and airing of a particular difference that people have. You know, forgiveness can come by by acknowledging that there's conflict and talking about it. That's actually a form of forgiveness. Forgiveness can be as simple as deciding to let something go and, and minimize, it's called minimization. Minimization is where you, know, you basically, you, you make it clear that you don't care anymore. You don't have to say anything. It's like, it's all good, it's all good. And, and, and you know it's all good because I'm being, I'm being nice to you and normal with you again. Yeah. But if that's not the case, then you actually have to have overt forgiveness, which is to say, a a conversation. I forgive you. Yeah. I, I forgive you, to actually say, I forgive you for that. And, and that requires that somebody say, please forgive me. And, and that's super important. And, and it's, you gotta have this range of forgiveness techniques in your arsenal. And, and there's a whole bunch of research that shows when you know, things are more appropriate than others. You know, in, in couples that have infidelity, for example, minimization is not the best way. No. You need, you need the hardcore stuff, typically. Yeah, I know someone who, you know, went through a terrible divorce because they were betrayed. The person not only had an affair, but brought the, the mistress to their home. Uff. And which is nothing. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I said total it, betrayal. Total. I said that's, that's a violation of yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. And when they tried to get back together, she tried to get back together with him. He said, I don't want to talk about it. And I said then, it can never work because yeah. you've got to be able to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And there has to be true remorse. 
you know? Yeah, there's a complete lack of intimacy in that situation. Yes. Um, you know, conflict is a funny thing. Um, actual conflict between partners in a, in a deep romantic relationship is one of the most intimate things that can happen. And one of the things that I recommend when I'm talking to couples is that they learn to fight and sometimes fight a lot more. This is really important that they, and they're fighting overtly. Now it's actually funny because, you know, when you're married, um, you have different conflict styles. Yeah. They, you know, and I first got, I married, my wife's Spanish. And you know, f f like fighting with yelling is a form of simple communication in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like aggrieved for the first five years of my marriage. It was like, oh, oh I was really? hurt. But you know, you get used to it. Because they're very passionate. It was right? so passionate, I couldn't handle it. I'm from Seattle, we don't do that, you know? It's like, you know? <laughs> but, but now I actually understand, um, and, and as a social scientist, I've studied this a great deal, that whether it's you require forgiveness or any other conflict, that, that it can be the most intimate thing in a couple's life. I love that. You know, people, I'm from Seattle, we don't do that. <laughs> like, why are you yelling at me? I'm not yelling. This is what she'll say, I'm not yelling. But, but the truth is that you should look at, at every kind of conflict, you know, forgiveness, um, bringing things to the surface as an opportunity to become more intimate with a person mm. because you don't get to say the truth very often mm. and to say the truth and listen to the truth is the most intimate thing. You know, couples would be like, we feel so much tenderness and love toward each other. We're so intimate with each other after we had a big fight. I guess we're just making up. No, 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 no. You were more genuine with that person than you've been maybe in a long time. I get that. You spoke and heard the truth. No wonder you're so tender. It's like a lobster that just kind of took off its shell. Ah. It was molted, right? Nice, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's for sure. So we're gonna end episode two here. Thank you. Thank you. As always, I love <laughs> hearing from all of our readers with your thoughtful questions. May I say, if you're listening or watching uh, this series, I bet you're thinking there's someone in your family or in your life who also needs to read Build the Life You Want. When you're done with this book, you can give them your copy or get them a copy. It's a gift for their well-being, a roadmap to enhance their, enhance their lives. So do it. I Don't you think so? Yeah. I, wouldn't you love to get this as a gift? Well, you know, it's like, you know, before we quit, one thing, let's read the dedication in this book. Okay. You know, it's like, oh, to my kids and to my grandkids and to my friends. And it you'd be saying to my bestie, Gail. I yeah. No, no. You want to read it? You read it. We dedicate this book to you on your life's journey. May you get happier year after year and bring greater happiness to others. This book is dedicated to the people watching us right now. Yes. It's dedicated to you. When we, when we come back, the conclusion of our three-part Build a Life You Want series on our next episode. And we'll walk through the final three pillars of happiness. Friendship, work, and faith will also tell you what you can do to ignite a happiness movement in your own life. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Get happier. Thanks to our episode sponsor, The Hartford. When you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member, you'll know a thing or two about an expertly packed capsule wardrobe that balances business and leisure. So you can go from conference sleek to cocktail party chic with a few new accessories. You can hustle from 9 to 5 before exploring with ease from 5 to 9 because you're the chief excursion officer. The Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know business.